Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. We're continuing a conversation of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is building a community partner with him to save the world. And can we just say again, that's how high the stakes are. Uh, last week, we were challenged to witness, to evangelize to become the kinds of people who by our very existence would help people fall in love with Jesus. Can I be honest? Last few years, we haven't done such a good job of this, and by we, I mean the church at large. When the non-Christian world looks at the church of Jesus Christ, do they think, I want to be like those people, and I want to know why they are the way they are. Or did they look at us and wonder, how in the world do those people even fill in the blank? And the Sermon on the Mount is kind of our constitution and bylaws by which Jesus is saying, this is where we're going. I want you to know. Last couple weeks, we laid the bar of admission on the ground. That in that culture, people who were otherwise excluded, the poor, the grieving, 
the simple-minded, the broken-hearted. Jesus says, y'all come. The kingdom isn't for the ones at the top of the pile. It is also for those at the bottom of the pile, whatever the pile is. But then now that he's got us in with that outrageous invitation, he raises the bar on what it is that we're supposed to be doing. I want you, he said, to be salt and light. I want you to be transformative presences by absorption into your culture in a way that illumines the darkness and shows people the way home. I want you to be those kinds of people. And here then, he says, is how you do it. Don't think I came to abolish the old way. I've given you now here a new way to do the old way. Because y'all figured out a way to do an end run around the old way. You think, because you haven't actually killed somebody, you have fulfilled the old way. I'm here to tell you that's not what the father had in mind when he said don't kill. That's where we're going. I got 30 minutes. I'm going to talk fast. Hope you listen fast. Um, here we go. Huh? I can go more. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go first and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. And I tell you, you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Whoa. Jesus is not just concerned with behavior. He doesn't want us to pat ourselves on the back because we didn't kill somebody today. He wants us to become the kinds of people who would not even think about doing that. Jesus knows the behavior is the threshold. The attitude, the disposition, the heart posture is what makes that possible. So he wants to say, you have heard it said, don't cross this line, and you congratulate yourselves because you haven't crossed this line. But if you've crossed this line, you've undermined the point of this line. The point is to build a community of brothers and sisters in which we would not even think of disregarding, dismissing, or undermining our brothers and sisters. You want to save the world? You want to be salt and light? Well, then, for God's sake... Don't behave towards one another the way they do. I've been working on this sermon for about 50 years. I'm an angry dad who was raised by an angry dad who was raised by an angry dad. 
not excuse. That's my reality. Uh, I worked hard on it on my own for about 20 years. And then at about 30, 35, I discovered Dallas Willard and Roger Heuser and spiritual disciplines, and I realized, oh, wait, I've been going at this whole thing all wrong. I've been trying not to be an angry person. And then I would just get angry because I still was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is not cognitive behavioral therapy. This isn't about addressing all of the causes. I think those are important, by the way. But what finally turned the tables for me was putting myself into a posture of weakness and vulnerability before the Father and saying, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. you got to help me. The disciplines that support, because my anger sourced out of my weakness and insecurity, my fear of being found out that I was not all that in a bag of chips. I knew that. But I couldn't for God's, for the kingdom, and for anybody's sake, let anybody else know that. You you know? So I found myself on a beach, Newport Beach, solitude and silence. I was there as a class assignment, and I met myself for the first time in 30 years. And I didn't like the self I met. But I discovered over the next three years that God did. And that gave me courage to begin to surrender the iron grip I had that fooled nobody. So when Jesus says, I want you to become the kinds of people who don't dismiss others, who don't treat others with contempt, who don't put people on the outside who don't them others. Anybody realize this last year has been a laboratory in anger? How How are we doing? Being the kinds of people who... Folks looking in from the outside would say, I, I want to be like those folks. That's what he's inviting us into, a salt and light, right? That's what he's inviting us into. So here we sit. Anybody who is angry, please notice, not gets angry, is angry. You catch the distinction. Jesus is very aware. Jesus knows how to be angry. If you were his disciple, you would have seen the dark side, if you will, of Jesus' anger. Here's the deal. Jesus never got angry because his boundaries were violated. He only got angry when somebody else's boundaries were violated who had no recourse. Children, women, Gentiles, outsiders, sinners, tax collectors, you cross them, you have to deal with Jesus. Him, he was so solid in who he was as beloved of the Father that he could later on choose to allow his boundary to be violated physically in the most extreme way. And what came out of him was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I got a week or two to get to that point. (laughs) Anybody else tracking along? Yeah? But you need to be clear. Can we be clear? That's where we're going. You want to transform the world? You want to save the world? Revenge is not going to do it. Payback's not going to do it. Turning the other cheek. Now that has a chance. Nobody's ever tried that before. Except Jesus. 
And he invites us to be the kinds of people who will naturally and instinctively have that within the range of our options when we are shamed and insulted. Because that's what that turn, slap of the cheek is. It's not a physical assault, although it can include that. So he invites us not to maintain, not to cultivate anger. And by the way, anger is not just the explosive, white-hot lava. Sometimes it's the icy dismissal and disdain. And in fact, in some ways, can we, that's more damaging and dangerous. Uh, it, it's it's in, in, in family systems theory, right? It is, it is that, that isolation that dismisses another person as even worthy of your lofty presence. We communicate to our kids. We communicate to the people that we are most close. I, I, it's not even passive aggressive. It's just aggressive. So Jesus says, no, I don't want you to be doing that. But not only that, you don't get to that place. You get to that place by, by treating people with contempt. That's what raka means. It's, 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 a, it's a, what you do when you say somebody's name while spitting on the ground. It's a treating of others with contempt. Now, I know that this is so far beyond our imagination in the last year and a half. But you don't get to treat people with contempt because their political beliefs are different than yours. You don't get to treat people with contempt because their lifestyle choices are different than yours. You don't get to treat people with contempt for any reason whatsoever. Otherwise, you're not going to be useful in the kind of kingdom that will attract people to the Father. You see what he's after here? He's not just trying to make us better people. He's trying to invite us to partner with him to save the world. That's what this is about. That's what this invitation is about. You can't say to another one, you fool. Fool in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a technical term. Remember Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So when we say to someone or about someone that they are a fool, it's not a, 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 a description of their mental capacity. It's saying to them, they are beyond the grace of God. How dare I come to the conclusion that somebody is dismissible like that? Now, I think you're realizing this isn't a public works project. I don't get to this place by doing the work myself. I get to this place, as I discovered on that beach in Newport 30 years ago. I get to that place by saying I have no idea how to get to that place. I can partner with God, and I want to, in the discipline, solitude and silence, help me to learn who I am, fasting and uh, watching, train me to be okay when I don't get what I want, when I'm not comfortable. Those disciplines, by the way, are not ever the point. They are the way that we surrender to the Spirit, who is the only one who can actually actually do this because the point again is not simply controlling behavior count to 10. By the way, until you get to the place of transformation, 
controlling behavior is not a bad place to start. I mean, there are some days, can I get a witness, when not killing somebody is a real achievement. <laughs> you know what I mean, and you know who I'm talking about, right? So, so if, if that's all you can do, okay, but let's be clear, that's not ultimately good enough for where we want to go here. It's, it's, this, it's this cultivated, treasured, rehearsed remembrance of wrongs suffered that justify in, in my, my disregard. And, and, and we warm our hands at the remembered slights and insults and things that we have suffered that bubble up this cauldron of anger within us. And we warm our hands at this, justifying our attitudes and our dispositions towards other people and their positions and so on and so forth. We, 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 we post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter account, whatever it is, and we, we say all kinds, we can hide behind the anonymity of social media, but please notice what's, what's coming out is what's in. It's not the stuff out here that's the most damaged, although it is. It's what's in here that produces that that's the problem. Right? It's not a matter of getting off social media if you don't, don't deal with the stuff that vomits out all over social media. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. He says, look, if you've got a problem, if you have a, are aware that your brother, your sister has got something against you, go to them. No, Jesus, you just don't understand. You just don't understand how they dismissed me, how they treated me. Jesus is saying, wasn't I clear? Go to them. Now, here's the deal. Jesus knows this. There are some people who, even if you go to them, will not be reconciled to you. That's not your problem. And the fact that you think they might not be is not reason enough for you not to go. You want to become solid enough and secure enough that you're not handing out the vote on your value, worth, and significance to people who have no business voting on that. Which, by the way, is nobody. If God has said, beautiful, beloved, chosen, precious, that actually is the truth. Right? So, so it's nice if other people agree, but not necessary. And if they don't agree, they're just wrong. And it's okay to live in a pe world with people who are just wrong about you. It's not your job to make everybody agree with God about you. They're not going to get there. You know why we are most angry? Why we most dismiss other people? Because we do it to ourselves. A lot of my dismissal of other people is simply a a a a a. a pre-launch of their dismissal of me because I know what's in me and so rather than wait for them to get around to it I'll just rule them out and a lot of my disdain and contempt is really fundamentally a discounting a dismissing of myself 
Jesus says, when you do this, when you treat people with disdain, when you treat people with contempt, sooner or later you forget not just who you are, but who they are. They are your brothers and sisters. By the way, did you notice that they are also then part of the image of God? Even if they're wrong. Now, my guess is, is that a few of you have been around the block long enough to know that you need people who are wrong in your life to keep you from falling off the edge of your being right. I need folks, I need friends who are just not impacted, not impressed. They're not even sure they really like me all that much. <laughs> Don't you? If, if Jesus says, hey, beware. If everybody says nice things about you and to you, be aware. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> right? So, so we, we, we have to recognize that the image of God is comprised of all of the bits and pieces, most of whom, actually every one of whom, is not you. So he invites us into this um, uh, conspiracy of repentance because look at what he says if if you're bringing your altar i mean you're bringing your offering to the altar and you're aware that your brother has got something against you go to him get get it right if you possibly can and again this is more important than your public worship there, there are those and he, he 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 settle matters verse 25 settle matters quickly with your adversary there are, there are those who won't be reconciled. And, and maybe there are exceptions. Maybe there are people who have been so wounding to you. I get it. I get it. I really do. But please, can we just not start with the exceptions? Because if we start with the exceptions, we'll never get to the reality of what's actually possible. I don't know if you're at all like me, but if, uh, I, I will, I will, I, if, I start, if I start out here, Rather than in here, the solution will be out there and their problem. And Jesus is inviting us to become the kinds of people who will naturally respond um, in ways that the kingdom is built. And this is, this is so challenging for us. Um, and this is why I've got to say this again and again and again and again. This isn't a public works project. This isn't a don't try to be angry. Here's what happens when you don't try to be angry. You lose the benefit of your anger. Anger is a gift. It's intended to indicate boundary violations. That's what it's for. God gave it to you. That's why he won't take it away when you pray that he removes it. He won't take it away. He wants to train you in it so that it's actually useful for purposes of things like discernment. For it's actually useful in cases where injustice is being done and anger is called for as a way of responding to the injustice done to people who have no voice. Do you, do you see? Now, if you waste all your anger on defending your own boundaries, you're not going to be useful in helping people defend theirs who have no way to defend them otherwise. That's why we need to learn anger from Jesus, not from whomever else. 
He knew how to do this and will teach us how to do it as we surrender. This is a work of the Spirit. It's not, it's, it, it, it's not a public works project. There are some places, though, that we can start to partner with the Spirit. I'm going to go through this really quickly um, in the last few minutes. But um, it may be helpful for you, uh, perhaps, uh, to follow, get the podcast and listen to this uh, at some point, because I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. But I'm going to invite you to sit with the Holy Spirit, ask Him to examine your heart. Sit with you, sit beside him. He loves you more than anyone else. And he loves the shadow side of you as much as the light side of you. The shadow is still part of you that needs to be redeemed. The reason I can't be trusted to deal with my own anger is because I'm not smart enough to know what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. I'm not, I'm just not. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do this. Fortunately, he has shown himself capable of helping us. In fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, strength under control. He's really good at this. So as we bring ourselves, this is, this is how, by the way, the world is going to know that we have been in touch with Jesus, not because of the miracles that flow. God, may they increase but because our character has been transformed. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, way more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Not, these are not unimportant, by the way. But if you have to choose, you don't. But if you have to, choose this. <laughs> choose this. So invite the Holy Spirit to sit with you and to bring to mind, maybe, I do this on a, on a regular basis, uh, every two or three days, sometimes you can do it more often, with this examine of conscience. And I just invite the Spirit to bring to mind things over the last two or three days, and because I'm working with anger in our conversation, that, that uh, I have been angry about. And fortunately for me, uh, unfortunately for me, there's not, it doesn't take long before things start to bubble up. Sometimes it's as silly as the guy in the 405 freeway. And I treat that guy as if he were trying to kill me. And then, and, and, and you know, I, I am in my little Honda Fit. <laughs> and I sit then and, 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 oh, okay. and sometimes it's somebody has said something. Sometimes it's something I saw on, on the news. Sometimes it's, I mean, you get the idea, right? In, especially though work in, in, in relationships. And I want you to take that anger that you felt at the moment, that you maybe have gone past, but the Holy Spirit brought it up for a reason. And I want you to pray that. Not pray about it. Pray it. What was that about? That frustration with your spouse, with your roommate, with your supervisor, with an employee, with a customer. What was that about? Pray it. Offer it up. Invite Jesus into the conversation on this particular issue. Pray your anger and invite Jesus into this. This is a work of the Spirit. It's not willpower, but it's taking advantage of something that has already passed and starting to reflect on it. The goal is that as we start to think about things in the past, 
sooner or later, the awareness horizon and the event horizon will get closer and closer together. And in the moment, we will be aware of what God is doing so we can respond rather than react in different ways. Do you see where we're going? So here's a couple of questions that you might consider. First of all, what was the actual boundary that was violated? Think in terms of the five aspects, spiritual, emotional, physical, etc. right? Think of those. What was the actual boundary that was violated? Is it a personal boundary to you? Or is it the boundary of someone unable to defend themselves, maybe even a justice issue? Consider then if it is a justice issue, if Jesus has asked you to intervene. Don't assume that that's your job necessarily. Has he invited you to intervene and in what way? Is it possible that he's asked you to pray rather than post something on Facebook? By the way, posting something on Facebook isn't actually intervening. So, has he invited you to pray? Has he invited you to get personally involved, personal engagement, working to address the injustice, absorbing, maybe, maybe. There's a bunch of people that Jesus is training up in these last days to become carriers of the pain of the brokenness of the system. That's called intercession. Where he hands us, and Paul's language on this is fulfilling the sufferings of Christ. Carrying the pain. That's hard. But you know exactly what it feels like when you've sat with somebody and you feel their pain almost drift and you become part. Sometimes you feel it in your gut. Sometimes for me, I feel it in the base of my back. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm lying flat on the floor in pain. Nothing's happened physically to me. I'm carrying it for somebody else. And I've just learned to carry it. Consider, what is he asking you to do? Is the anger you have felt appropriate to the actual provocation? So was the boundary legitimate? Was it properly communicated? Was the anger you felt appropriate? Because sometimes we go to DEFCON 4 at the slightest infraction. Just preemptive strike. Mm, not helpful. Right? So, so if not, and here's where it really gets tricky. If it was out of alignment with what actually happened, what was being triggered in you? Residual memory, how many of us are still responding in anger to something dad said to us when we were 13? But now it's our supervisor at 35. And we react here with the triggered memory of here. That's why the brilliance of Jesus, hey guys, if you got something to resolve, stop your worshiping, go and resolve it. I am so grateful for the men and, uh, of the garden who are leaning into being better dads and husbands. But I just got to tell you guys, your kids are still going to be messed up. 
right? That's why everybody's got to leave home. We need to all be free to make our own mistakes so that we don't have blame, you see? But anyway, tr- y'all know what I mean by the triggers, right? So, so, so is, is what you're feeling a trigger of something else? What is going on there when you hear a phrase or an idea or a word, uh, when you see somebody in a mask or somebody who doesn't wear a mask? When, when you're offended with the call for a vaccine, what's that actually about? And is that really any of your business? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not being snarky. Well, I am a little bit, but I, I, I just, I, do you know what I'm after here? It's like, stay in your lane. What is Jesus actually inviting you, you, as a citizen of the kingdom, to be engaged and involved with here? Is it possible that just a tad more compassion in the world would be useful? This is what I'm suggesting. What is being triggered in you? Because remember, we will think that the other one has triggered us. No, 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 no. Nobody makes you mad. What's in you that gets triggered? I want to bring that to Jesus. You've got to help me deal with this because I don't even know what it is. And in fact, I've lived with it so long and it has made me feel so powerful for so long that I'm not sure I want to get rid of it. Okay, then you're not actually going to be useful for the kingdom's coming. Thanks, though. No, 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 no. I don't want to be like kind, that kind of person. Because there's ways, by the way, you probably figured this out, of baptizing all of this and making it spiritual. I, I really think spiritual anger that is not about justice, but is about preference, is actually the most damaging anger of all. The self-righteousness, oh, God, help us. You know? So what is, that go- what is going on there? Where am I feeling weak? Because that's what my anger is usually about. My weakness, my insecurity, my fear, my um, feeling small or dismissed. Anger is how I assert my presence when I'm feeling undermined, like a cat in a corner arches its back and puffs out its tail. That's what anger ultimately is about. Notice that Jesus was so solid in his identity that he never responded in anger when his personal boundaries were violated. And you know this, but let me say it out loud. Jesus' boundaries physically and emotionally and spiritually were violated in ways that are unimaginable to us. Never responded out of, always completely aware of who he was. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. And you are invited
Speak. 